0: Welcome to Voice It, a podcast showcasing people in the Clare Valley in the mid-north of South Australia who've started their own businesses from scratch and have turned them into success stories. This is a chance for them to tell you their story. I'm your host, Annabelle Homer. Meet the woman behind Bukirk Glamping. Alison Maney, or Chook as everyone calls her, kickstarted her Clare Valley glamping venture three years ago. It was a risk and people did have their doubts whether it would succeed. Well, she's proved all the doubters wrong. She's booked out pretty much every weekend and she's expanding a lot faster than she ever envisaged. But like any business, it comes with its highs and its lows and Chook has some cracker stories to share. Enjoy the next 45 minutes. This is Chook's Story. Chook, you've been a hard woman to track down, or pin <laughs> down, I should say. I've tracked you down, but I couldn't pin you down. You're one busy lady. Firstly, welcome to The Voice It podcast. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Why are you called Chook?
1: <gasps> oh, there's two versions. I can't tell you one. But the other one... Um... Please tell me both versions. <laughs> No, one's just a silly version. I tell people in the pub after a few wines. (laughs) But my mum used to call me Ali Chook when I was a little kid because I used to follow her around everywhere and I used to fuss over my little brother Butch. Um, So, yeah, Ali Chook just stuck. And, of course, being in the country, everyone has to have a nickname and Chook is what it's been forever.
0: And it's just stuck. Yep. Yep. Do many people ask you why you're called chook or they've just accepted? That's um, just the way
1: it is. No, they do, especially the guests and the glampers because they want to know, like especially um, overseas people because they don't know what a chook is. It's a chicken. So, yeah, you've got to explain that to them. And then, of course, the concepts and the name of Bukirk, so it just all flows in the story.
0: Well, we're going to talk about Bukirk in just a moment, but I want to backtrack <laughs> and find out where did your life begin? Are you a Clare girl born and bred?
1: Uh, I did Year 11 and 12 in Clare. We moved back to, I was born in Malala, South Australia, um, and my parents moved over to Victoria to run a family business, but then we came back and, uh, like I said, did Year 11 and 12, but then I went to Adelaide to go to business college. Yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be an accountant, so a little bit different now. Why? Don't know, liked numbers back then, but yeah, not, not enough to be an accountant. So then I went and worked for Mobile Phone, which is now Vodafone, chasing people that hadn't paid their bills and I didn't like being mean to people. So I thought, right, I need to do something else. And I thought, well, let's start travelling Australia. So I got a job on a um, cattle station in Alice Springs that was also a bed and breakfast. So I ran the office there and, you know, did some tour operating stuff and checking people in and out and really enjoyed that. But then I decided I wanted to move into town and I got a job at Impager Television as a sales rep. So I did that for five years. I absolutely loved it because you just go around talking to people all day and we had the great TV show so it was quite easy to sell airtime doing that. So that was really fun but I had the boyfriend, bought the house, had the flash car and I just felt I was missing something and that was travelling. So at 26, I think I was, I got my visa to go over to the UK and I lived and worked over there for a year. Uh, then I wanted to go to Canada, so I went and did Canada for a year as well. So what did you around. do in Canada? Obviously, like every other Australian, I went to Whistler and worked on the snowfields there. Um, but then I moved to Calgary and okay. I was a blackjack dealer at the casino for a little while. And then a friend of mine got me a job in the oil refinery in Regina, Saskatchewan. Yes. Terrible name. It is, it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is it Regina or Regina? No, it, it's Regina. It is Regina. Yeah. yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah,
1: very. So I don't. I should just say Saskatchewan rather than t- saying the actual city. But yeah, so I did that and then I travelled the US. So when I lived in the UK, I travelled Europe. And when I lived in Canada, I travelled the US. So I've seen a fair bit. I've stayed in Backpackers. I've stayed in Five Star. So that's just a little bit of a tip as to when we talk about Berkirk, where that all comes from, but... And then I I came home and I decided I don't want to work Monday to Friday so I got into the gold mine in Tanami Desert in the Northern Territory. So I did uh, flights and coordinating admin duties for that and then where do I go from there?
0: So how do you get these jobs? Are you the one that's pursuing or do you see just a job in the paper, oh yeah, I think I'll go for that? Or do you have this, this constant get up and go and just want to try new things?
1: Yeah. I, I wanted to get into FIFO. I love that whole idea of working and then you have time off because obviously I'd been travelling and that's how I'd lived for the last several years. So I thought that'd be great. I can work and then I can go play and, you know, travel Australia on my R&R, which is what I've done a fair bit of. I knew people. It's not what you know mm. most of the time. Um, but also I just joined a, a temp agency and there was a, a three-week or a three-month, I can't remember now, role that came up and I said, I'll take it. But then after that three months... I got asked to stay on and I think I did two years out there and yeah and then that's when I ducked back to the UK for another year and I lived in Edinburgh and Belfast and travelled a bit more and then come back and got back into, I got a job over in Port Hedland working on the um, refinery there or the iron ore there um, doing accommodation. So at that stage there was not enough accommodation for the amount of people they needed to build the trains and etc so they um Andrew Forrest gave my company go ahead to buy 100 caravans and set them up somewhere in Port Hedland so that people had somewhere to stay so that they can get the train built quicker so yeah I managed all that so hence why I've got a a beautiful caravan over in my shed as well
0: (laughs) and hence why you've got the experience to set up your own accommodation set up here so that's that totally explains a lot of things you've moved around a fair bit and you've tried lots of different things. Have you been solely on your own doing all this? Have you had a partner? Have you been tied down at any point or do you love that nomadic lifestyle?
1: Yeah, well, the partner I had when I left Alice Springs, obviously that wasn't going anywhere, so I'm glad that that didn't go anywhere because maybe I would have been stuck and Mm. my life would have been a whole lot different. But with with the the travels, you know, you met people along the way but they weren't enough to want to make you stay um, but what brought me back to Clare was a fella. Um, we were going to settle down and, you know, have babies and stuff, but he was a submariner in the Navy in WA. And I didn't want to be stuck in WA with children with no family while he's out to sea for six months. So I thought, well, I'll come back to Clare, but I need something to do. I don't I had a lifestyle that I was accustomed to with FIFO, you know, what you earned for that. So I, I thought, well, I'm not going to want to earn you know, $25 an hour, I need to earn more than that, how am I going to do that? So I thought, well, I'll set up my own business and hope to hell that it works. <laughs> so yeah, I um, set about looking for a property to buy, not with the glamping subject straight away, I just knew that I wanted to do an alternate style of accommodation for the Clare Valley. And so yeah, I, I ended up buying this at a bank auction, and it was a, a rundown vineyard, um, because we're in a low lying area here, frosts come through, so I thought, well, if these people can't grow grapes, I'm not going to try grow grapes. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, do you want
0: that story? In a minute. Yeah, a minute. I was going to say, I'm getting back to Bukirk. You want to know about me, Oh, don't no, you? I want to know about <laughs> – I think everyone wants to know about you, <laughs> oh. but we will talk about Bukirk yeah. in, in a minute. I want to go back to your family mm. and your time at Malala, mm. and and what did you your pe- folks do at Malala?
1: Yeah, so my dad um, was a butcher, mm-hmm. or his dad was a butcher, so their dad um, helped him in the butcher shop. So when we moved to Horsham, then my little brother Butch was born, not so little. (laughs) Um, And then yeah, from the butcher, yeah, yeah. Um, So then when in Horsham, Dad was a racehorse trainer, Ah. so he would train racehorses, and my mum had several jobs to support us kids, and um, we would go and help Dad. You know, every morning we'd have to go feed the horses and muck their stalls out, make sure they had water, and. When you get home, you go and do your jobs. So we've always been hardworking kids up till adults as well. So it's where we get our drive, I guess, the way we were brought up.
0: You don't have any horses here though? No, no. So you're not a huge fan of horses? No,
1: anymore. Too many bad falls and bites. (laughs) I might get a miniature donkey one day.
0: That's about it. Kevin and and the donkey can hang out (laughs) together. More about Kevin in just a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So when you did those, uh, those jobs where you're out at the gold mine and at the oil refinery, I mean, that doesn't suit everybody. What is it about those types of jobs, those isolating jobs that really appeal to you?
1: I think the fact that the freedom later. So depending on the role, sometimes I'd work eight days and I'd get six off. Um, the last project I worked for 28 days straight, 12 hours a day and then I had 28 days off. So that's a long time off but it's also a long time on site. But you just you know that you're there for a reason. I was there for that 28 days off. So while I was there you had your mind, family and you know, you'd go to the gym and get healthy and th- so that the 28 days when you eat and drink everything possible and then you go back and burn it all off. So you just have that. Most people go into it for the love of their job but ultimately it is to sort of set yourself up too, which is, again, how Good I got money. to this. Yeah.
0: Good money. Yeah. Were there many other females there or was it mainly a male-dominated type of industry?
1: In the early days, predominantly male. Um, but especially Barrow Island, the last project I worked on, they were encouraging women. Um, in the gold mine, they wanted women to drive the trucks because they looked after them and cared for them and mm. kept them nice and tidy. But it's it's getting bigger and, you know, more women-driven That that didn't sound like it sounded right.
0: (laughs) But did did you find it intimidating when you were one of the few?
1: Nah, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I can be one of the boys or shoot them down if they're being... Did you have
0: to shoot them
1: down? Oh, there's always one or two.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You mentioned Barrow Island. So, what were you doing there?
1: Um, So, I was working for the commissioning team, um, doing all the... I'm going to talk in acronyms, so I'll try not to, but all the documentation for their work method statements and ah, report okay. writing and just collating all the stuff for management so my team the the people would build the gas plant and then my guys who are all highly experienced very smart people would go in and make sure it's built correctly and cool. then I would you know assist them with all their documentation and you know, they collate it all together and do up a work method statement and procedures and stuff like that. So
0: where was that located?
1: So it was a plane ride off of Karatha or out of Perth, so out into the ocean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what was that like, waking up to that every day?
1: It was really cool. Like, it's such a beautiful, as as I said before, an A-class nature reserve, so it's such a beautiful piece of land. But then you've got this ugly monstrosity of a gas mine, but it's still fascinating, all these bits of stuff going everywhere that actually is providing gas to the mainland and to ships that come in and then take the gas and all the remnants off to China. Like, it's really fascinating. But then I was privileged enough to go on a couple of uh, turtle tours. So they have green turtles at certain times of years, and um, then the little baby turtles when they get born, and they run along the sand and go out into the water.
0: So how does that work hand in hand with uh, a gas infrastructure, and then you've got nature right next door? I
1: know. Well, Chevron obviously invests millions into preserving the island um, and Harry Butler is an ambassador for Barrow Island so he used to come out there he's like a Australia's version of David Attenborough ah. yeah so then there's lots of different unique different sorts of little joeys and goannas and parenties and birds and it really is pretty cool
0: you mentioned Harry Butler mm. what other cool people did you meet or have you met during your travels
1: Probably Twiggy, Andrew Forrest. Okay. Yeah, like he's such a very important man, doing a lot for the country, got a lot going on, but he's so down to earth. Like he came into our office and sort of introduced himself and let us have photos with him and asked you what you did. Like he actually cared. Like a lot of the places you don't ever see the big boss or the big man. Um, So I really um, held a lot of respect for him after that. And, you know, seeing what he's doing during COVID and... Yeah, like he's putting back into the country and yeah, he's not just being a mining magnate and not caring. Or super wealthy. Yeah. He bought R.M. Williams too to keep that in Australia, which I think is fantastic.
0: Yes, that's right. Mm. Have you met Gina? No, I've seen oh, did- her but I didn't meet her, no. Yes,
1: she was um, building her Roy Hill camp in Port Hedland when we were there but I never saw her, no. Yeah. like to meet her, I reckon she'd be a pretty cool chick to talk to.
0: Now let's talk about Bukirk. Okay. And got such a fantastic setup here. I drive past it nearly every day and I remember when you were building and constructing all the tents and thinking, what on earth are they doing there? Firstly, why is it called Bukirk? Well, if you say
1: that out loud and fast... Bukirk. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Buk, buk, Bukirk. <laughs> well, I didn't want to call it Alison's glamping or Claire Valley glamping or even Chook's glamping. So I came up with the name Bukirk. And funnily enough, if you listen, the Chooks actually do say Bukirk, which is awesome. But when I was coming up with the name, I would go around and get people to say it to make sure that they'd say it right. But some people would say Bukirk. And I'm like, well, that's okay. Because you know Mrs. Bucket of keeping yes. up appearances. Yes. So I thought, well, the posh people can stay. We're staying at Bukirk. And then everyone else is like, we're at Bukirk.
0: <laughs> and I guess you want to have a title or a name that everyone remembers. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I mean, and when I first opened, people would say to me when they're talking to their partner, they're like, where was that place we went, darling? Oh, somewhere down south. Like well, that's how people remember. And I won't say which glamping business it is, but. People remember it from where it was, or, but that's it. They can't remember the name of it. And there are a few glamping sites, but everybody remembers Bukirk. If not, they at least remember the Chook one, you know. So the chook one. And that's what you want them to remember. And if, if you type in Chook glamping, I'm pretty sure Bukirk will come up. So oh, that's, that's right what you man. want, especially with Google in these days.
0: Tell me, what was here before you put these tents in?
1: Yeah. So it was 42 acres. Uh, there's a massive big shed massive big shed there's a a ruin oh it's not a ruin yes uh, because the stone building there at the front didn't have it had about half a dozen sheets of iron left on it and the walls are falling apart and there was a lean-to on the back that you couldn't actually see the ruin or the cottage because it was covered in trees and shrubs um then there's a house there and then it was all just vineyard wrapped around that um so i don't know how many acres nearly 16 hectares of vines 42 acres so yeah I bought that at a bank auction and like I said earlier I decided that if the previous owners you know weren't successful with this patch of land I'm definitely not going to be so I said to my brother can you help me find a backhoe and teach me how to drive it because I'm going to buy one and I'm going to dig all the posts and vines out in my r and because I had 28 days off so Butch helped me find a backhoe and off I went and in my R&R, depending where my partner at the time was. If he was in Perth, I'd stay there. Mm -hmm. Um, If he was out to sea, then I'd come back here.
0: So how long did it take you to develop this entire operation?
1: So it's hard to say as to pulling the vines out because it wasn't like a two weeks every other month kind of thing. It was just whenever I could. And then if it was a crappy day, you're not sitting out there because you'll get bogged. I think March 2017 I pulled the last vine out. Then I sat in the paddock for several weeks trying to work out where to put Burkirk while I was waiting for council approval and all that background stuff that you've got
0: to do. How long does that take? <laughs> do we have to talk about that? <laughs> so from the first vine you pulled out to the last vine, how long yeah. did that take?
1: Uh, I did it over about a year, I think, okay. but not constant. Like, Because, um, yeah, it sat for a while until I bought the backhoe and – Mm -hmm. Yeah and then decided what I wanted to do Because I thought I might actually try and keep some of the vines I talked to a few local people like Tomo and stuff like to see if he wanted to come and take over certain patches And then it was just like you know what it's just easier to just get rid of them all Um, Talked to Johnny Barry and he informed me of the costs to grow and maintain a vineyard as opposed to pulling one out Um, And that's the the other thing too It was about $2,000 a hectare to demolish a vineyard So it was going to call an acre. So it was going to cost me about 40 grand to pay someone to do it. And I was like, hell, I'm not wasting 40 grand. So I went and spent 35 on a backhoe instead. And then, like I said, got Butch to teach me how to drive it. and Then when I pulled the last vine out, I pulled the pad for the concrete shed that we're sitting in now in June of 2017. Um, So that's the beautiful little outdoor area with the kitchen, lounge, dining, um, so people can come and cook their which meals. Which is where we are sitting right now. Yeah, on the comfy couch. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and Very ni- rustic. Nice like patch it. of grass out the front to lay, which mm-hmm. I laid many a night looking at the stars drinking wine after a big day. Um, yeah, so then after that we then progressed down to the two tents, which then opened in March 2018. So I'd never done anything like this before, so I engaged an older builder any builder really was too busy and I wanted to be part of it, whereas most builders, you know, you've got to get out their way so they can do it. Mm. So I'm glad I did that because, you know, look how rustic it is and it, it just feels authentic. It's not like a Stratco shed that's just been chucked in the middle of a paddock.
0: And it's also, you've been a part of it, so you probably mm. have a massive connection oh. to what you've built.
1: Everything from you know how big that window is to these western cedar boards. I made my builder turn them upside down and around so that the knots are all displayed pretty. No one else is probably going to notice that, but I do.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the tiny little things that it matter. Yeah. yeah. You started with two tents. Mm-hmm. Why tents in the first place? Why? Why glamping?
1: Good question. So I I knew Claire needed an alternate style of accommodation. So I wanted to do the rustic tiny houses that I've now done. But when I came to it, I figured I could probably only afford to do two and they'd just be sitting in the middle of a paddock. Well, it just didn't sit right. But also I wouldn't earn enough income to support myself as well because no one would employ me because I need to be here at 10 o'clock to check people out and then I need to clean and then I need to be back here at 2 to check people in but not everybody gets here at 2. So I thought, right, I need to start smaller. So I started looking at alternate styles of accommodation, the tiny houses, the... Um, what are they called? The igloo looking things. I thought, well, no, people need privacy, so you don't want people looking in. <laughs> so then I, I saw that glamping was taking off in the UK and the US. And I thought, well, if people are going to glamp in the UK, they'll glamp in Claire. So, yeah, I set about looking to find a tent. And I didn't, I lo- as soon as I saw this shape of tent, I wanted it because I'm tall. And when you go into a tent, you don't want to be touching it. And I thought that, and it bellows out. So you've got heaps of room in there. And they look cute ch- at nighttime, too. Don't
0: to check it out. Hmm. I haven't actually been in a glamping tent. Haven't you? No. Well, you can't go in there today because they're all full. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I'll have to come back again another yeah. day. You know, when you're not busy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is never. Actually, always, always, always busy. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've got five tents. Yes. And they're all themed by the looks of it and it's a breed of chook. Yes. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I, wanted, I didn't want to name them tent one, tent two, tent three, so I thought let's name them after breeds of chicken and some people don't know what a wine dot is or an araucana. So, down in the chicken where my girls live, I've got two of each chicken. So, people can go down there and have a look what a silky looks like and actually pick up a chicken if they want to and collect the fresh eggs. Um, so, based on the name, I've also decorated the tent similar to the plumage of the chicken. So, the silky chooks are white and fluffy. Oh, they're different colors, but I've got the white, fluffy ones. So, the silky tent has like a plush pink. Bed with a cream couch and blings and fluffy pillows. So, yeah, just trying to keep him with the theme. Arakana, they lay blue eggs, so I've got like a Tiffany blue couch with grey quilt and plush pink. So they're all different because not everybody wants to sleep in a pink tent Night. or, you know, especially blokes.
0: <laughs> What's the feedback that you get from guests every time they come here?
1: Oh, they love it.
0: Like it's Of just, course you're going to say that <laughs>
1: Yeah I know but read the reviews Go and read the reviews But they love the whole getting out of the city And actually still having the creature comforts And you know like a hotel but in a tent It's warm, it's cosy You've got Kevin Bacon there to play up to He loves people so much You um, well, should
0: see the size of this animal <laughs> Massive He's miniature Is he? He's <laughs> a miniature pig mm. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he eats well Well, he gets bloody leftover cheese platters nearly every day as well and I've even had guests buy bags of apples and carrots for him and give them their leftovers. He's very spoiled.
0: Well, I presume Kevin Bacon comes from the actor but is there another reason for for calling him that?
1: No. My bestie bought him for me for my 40th birthday Um, and she's like, can you please call him Kevin Bacon? And we laugh for about half an hour and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Um, But he's only Kevin when he's naughty so he's Kevy normally but also the guests just love being able to pat sheep touch chooks and the cows like Betty Boo's very pretty looking cow but she's also a little bit of a bitch as well but she will let them pat her if she feels like it but you know how how many times have you ever patted a pig in your life or a sheep I mean we were from the farm but if you live in the city you only ever see it on tv so people just love Doing something different, like people are looking for an experience, you can go and stay in a hotel anywhere and it's going to be, yes it's going to be lovely, but what did you take away from it? Yeah. Whereas here, you know, if people don't want to hang out in the tent, well most people do want to just hang out in the tent because it's cosy and it's warm, it's romantic, it's fun, but they can come up to this beautiful outdoor area and meet other people if they want to. Or Like today I've got three couples that have come together to catch up and they're going to be hanging out here all afternoon. So I think that's great. And, a, you know, you've got this, but then there's so much for them to see and do in and around the Clare Valley. So it's just, I chose the right spot to set it up. And Buquerque is unique in that little shed that's behind, that's the ensuite. So you've just got to unzip your back door, take two steps, and you're into your own private shower and toilet, heat bar, and a little fan in the summertime. That, to me, there's nothing glamorous about sharing a toilet and a shower with other people you don't know. Yeah, so that's a, that was a big thing. Like I thought, I'll just set up an ablution block that'll save me heaps of money, and then we just have to clean that once a day. And then um, a dear friend of mine that I worked with said to me, "My wife would not go if she had to share a toilet and a shower." And I thought his wife would be as you know rough as me. And when he said that, I went, "Good point. I wouldn't want to share a toilet or a shower or walk a hundred meters." Yes. In yep. your jammies or whatever, in the middle of the night when it's two degrees. Mm. So I think that's what makes Pekirk what it is is, or a main part is the ensuite. Mm. People want to be able to go to the toilet and have a shower and not have to, you know, they can do a nudie run from your tent to your toilet. <laughs> I haven't seen any of that, by the way, before you ask. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you mentioned summer before, mm. and it's pretty dry around here in summer. Mm. But exciting, you are putting in a pool.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> That's upping it to another level.
1: I've got a little beautiful patch of green out there in the summertime, but I'm putting Lucent in in front of the tents, so come summer it'll be green that ah, patch. But it's Great still, idea. It's still beautiful though, even though it is dry, because I've got all those native trees and shrubs with their cute little flowers and stuff. So, But, yeah, if you don't want to see dirt come in the winter when it's green, but then you've got the cold. Do you get people coming here and being a bit difficult? <laughs> you're going to get me in trouble here. But, of course, look, honestly, I've been so lucky in that I think most people that are going to come glamping have an awesome attitude. Like, yep. if if you're a bit snobby and, you know, need somebody to carry your bags to your car and hope that your high heel doesn't fall through the decking board, this is probably not <laughs> for them. But some people, you just can't please some people and I do my best and I bite my tongue and walk away. So, yep. you know... Yeah, all right, I'll give you one. Good. Oh, my God. So it was a 30-something degree day. It was hot. And this couple um, asked if they could check in early. And I said, oh, unfortunately, I've got to clean five tents on my own between 10 and 2. You won't be able to check in early. Um, Quarter to 2, she rocked up. And it got me a little bit cross because I've got to make sure all the tents are ready for everyone at two. So if I stop to check her in, I'm then going to be 20 minutes behind and then the next person that rocks up has to wait for me to finish cleaning their tent. I don't want that. You know, when people get here, they're excited to see inside their tent. They don't want to wait any longer. Mm. I walked over to her and she's helped herself into the tent, walking around with her shoes on and stuff. And I was like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah, we're here to check in. I said, oh, is your partner going to get out of the car? Oh, No. Nah. And I was like, well, that's a bit rude. It's 30-something degrees, by the way. car wasn't running, sitting and um, And eventually got out of the car and grunted at me. And so I walked over and did the whole check-in process. Moral of this story, I'll get to the end, is that her review, I shouldn't probably be saying this out loud, but they obviously weren't having a good time with each other. Um, She wrote a review complaining about anything and everything. I didn't have the pedestal fan turned on in the tent. Well, that doesn't cool the tent down, it cools you down. So I'm not turning pedestal fans on. But So during summertime, I set up a blow-up pool for my guests. She said that there was no filtration process on the blow-up pool. Didn't realise there needed to be when you tip the water out at the end of the day. Then she suggested that it would be a better experience if I insulated the tents and put stargazing roofs on them. She was Karen. There, there was way more to it, but I don't want to go into it because... She might listen to this.
0: <laughs> but as in everything, especially hospitality, you're not going to no. make everybody happy.
1: And she came over and saw me and she said, look, it's really hot in the tent. I said, yeah, it's 36 degrees, love. Um, and I felt like saying, how about you put some shorts and some thongs on? Because They both had jeans and sneakers on, like 36 degrees. I said, well, I've got the pool here. Do you want to hire an air conditioner? And she's like, yes, please. So I went and got the air conditioner straight away, set it up, turned it on. I said, but just stay here by the pool for a little bit because the poor air conditioner's got to rush to, you know, get to 20 degrees from 36 in the heat of the day. I I did the best I could. Yeah. Couldn't please her and I wouldn't, you know, even afterwards replying to her messages, she kept coming back at me. So I just stopped. I went, you know what, you go set up glamping, darling. Hmm.
0: Well, you should write to them now and say hey, do you want to come back in summer because I'm putting in a real swimming pool? With a filter. (laughs) (laughs) But you're going to
1: get it. And at the end of the day, it's lessons learnt. Like to me, I was probably a bit cheeky by saying her partner was rude, not getting out of the car, but come on, I've invited you to my property. I want to know who's staying here and I want to make sure that you enjoy your stay. So, you know, at least give me a courtesy of saying hello to me and hearing my spiel out and then... Go do what you have to do.
0: Mm. Let's talk about the pool and some new additions to Bukirk.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we've got five tents. Um, Last one was built in August 2019. And when I got to that, I went, I don't want any more. Because where would I put the tents where they've all got their own unique view? I didn't want someone having to look at another tent or look at the road, look at the ugly house over there, um, which is fenced off so you can't see. So I decided, right, now I can do my little tiny houses. And so and also the outdoor area, like this area we're sitting in now, any more than five or six couples, it's going to be too crowded and people stand around waiting to make a cup of tea or cook their dinner. The fire pit, perfect number for 10 people or 14 if the fancy coopers come down here. I find not everybody does, but, you know, like this weekend they will because they're all groups, groups. and want to hang out. So, yeah, I got to the five tenths. And then I decided that I'll do my little rustic tiny houses. So we've got two of those um, and a third one's coming. That's going to be for people with mobility issues or um, special needs. So ramps and rails and you know wider doors for wheelchair access and stuff like that.
0: How has the rustic tiny houses been received?
1: Not as good as I would like in that people want to come and stay in a tent. Um, so to me, they just think that's just a cabin which is not just a cabin. Like I hate using the word cabin because they're not. When I think cabin, I think caravan park cabin. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, everybody that comes and stays in a tent, sneaks in and has a look, coming back to stay in a coop, and vice versa. When they stay in a coop, they're coming back to stay in a tent. So I love that.
0: Do you get lots of repeat guests? Yeah, lots. That's, That's great. great. Well, mm. it doesn't surprise me, considering your reviews, one person said, Chook has been described as the most friendliest host you'll ever encounter. So (laughs) I think that says a lot about – they don't just come for the accommodation. They, you know, it says a lot about the person that runs this place as well.
1: Yeah, and most of my reviews include me and Kevin. I had one guest ask me if Kevin was my partner. (laughs) I said he might as well be, I guess. (laughs) But I, I think what makes me memorable is the fact that I meet everybody that comes here. You know, whereas most B&Bs don't meet the owner, the keys in the letterbox or, you know, power box. So that's unique. People don't expect that when they get here, I'm going to be here, say good day, tell them where they should go to eat and drink, tell them what tourist things there are to see in Clare. And they love that because most people haven't been to Clare before and they don't know what there is to see and do in Clare. So they really thoroughly enjoy it, thankfully, because obviously from the size of me, I do like to eat and drink, so I've tried it all. <laughs> And yeah, and you you tailor it too. Like if somebody comes here and says, I don't drink wine, well, go to Pikes, go to Jean Array, go to the Olive Bus. You know, you give them options. You don't have to drink alcohol to come to the Clare Valley.
0: Mm. Now you've you've been uh, operating since 2018. Yep. So over that time, what has been the most challenging aspect of running an operation like this?
1: Oh, there's more than probably one.
0: But one that really you didn't expect maybe.
1: I guess the amount of work that's involved.
0: Yeah. <laughs> can, that, can I say that or do you want to narrow it down? No, no. I, I think that's a major, like, major one.
1: you know, people say to me, is this all you do? And I want to flick them in the nose when they say that. Because, um, yes, it is all I do during the day. And then when the sun goes down, I'm inside doing social media and paying bills and ordering linen, you know, s- replying to reviews that are online. You have to do that. Then you've got tourism award applications, grant applications, it's just insane the amount of work and then I text all my guests before their arrival to see what time they're getting here just so I can make sure I'm on site. After they've left I send them a text to say thanks and can you write a review and you got to keep on top of that. Like if I sent someone a text today that stayed in December last year they'd be I'm not writing a review now, that was ages ago. So there's all these little things and, you know, I hire all my linen because I don't have mains water out here. So I don't have mains water, I ran out of water. How do I get water here? Oh, thanks, Fidji, bring me some truckloads. And you have to work all that out. Like one day, oh, this is horrific, um, I went down to clean a tent and all I could smell was shit. Can I say that? Or poo. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? And I looked at the outside thingy and there was poo coming out of the riser. Now, that riser goes way down. I've rang Caulfield because I'm like, maybe my septic tank's full, and I've rang my plumber. There was a bunch of baby wipes stuck in the pipes, like cement, so all my pipes were full of shit, or peeps and poops, should I say. Um, And I'm like, well, what do I do? I've got a full house. So, at like eight o'clock at night, Caulfield had to come out with his truck and pump the septic out. and. You know, I couldn't leave it because if I didn't do that, people would be standing and well, I don't even want to think about. Yeah. yeah. So those things, you don't ever expect that. I only put the septic system in three years ago. It shouldn't be stuffing up. But my poor plumber had to get the um, tank pumped out, get in the tank, put his hand up into the pipe and pull out. And That's he found all pay- sorts.
0: That's why you paid him the big
1: bucks. Oh, Park could have paid him more than what he asked. I felt so sorry. He fell over in there too. Mm. Oh, mm. But that just annoyed me Because it's like the simple <laughs> things You don't think that So now I have to put a sign in the toilet Saying please don't flush your baby wipes You know, little things like that
0: Well it's kind of common knowledge now I think that's pretty well known You don't put baby wipes down the toilet Someone
1: put a shit load down there You know, little things that go wrong with the tent um, Someone broke a zip One guy fell through the fly wire I'm like great, how do people And in the summertime So you can't rent that tent out Because you can't shut the fly wire And you're <gasps> not going to leave the Canvas shut on a summer's day. So there's always something.
0: Do you have bond in relation to this? If they damage something, do you get?
1: I I take people's, like a hotel, I take the credit card details. Um, I learnt that the hard way. I'll tell you a quick story. I don't like smoking in, around or near anywhere on the tents because they're highly flammable plus the cute little straw bales could possibly catch on fire. So I have a smoking area and I ask people to adhere to that. I had this one bloke I was at the Seven Hill Pub having dinner and he rang me screaming that the hay bale's on fire and I thought it was one in the paddock maybe combusted or something. I was like, What hay bale? The one next to the ensuite. I'm like oh my god, there's a hose on the side of the ensuite, just hose it down and then I got another girlfriend to ring the fire trucks to get him out here. It's like ten o'clock at night or later. Thankfully, um just a little bit of damage underneath the ensuite, bit of conduit, bit of timber structure. Um, but they were in bed. Like, thank God they woke up. Because if he didn't wake up, they possibly could have burnt to death. And I said to him, what happened? I know what happened, but I'm not going to accuse him. Hmm. And he said, don't know. We were asleep and we could smell smoke. I said, well, how does a straw bar just catch on fire? Dunno. I said, well, were you smoking near here? Because I knew he was smoking. He goes, no, I've been smoking in my ute. I'm like, on 40 degree days, you sit in here you and have a cigarette? Yeah. So anyway, long story short, they went to the hospital because he tried to pick up the straw bale with his hand and burnt his hand. They were pissed. Um, and so I ducked into the tent to just make sure there's no damage. Cigarette on top of the can next to the bed. And there was a plastic bucket on top. There was a melted plastic bucket. So it turns out he'd put the cigarette in the can in the plastic bucket on top of the straw bale, gone to sleep. So in 45 minutes, once it's melted, do and set on fire. I was mortified. Like, But also, what if they didn't wake up? Who's going to want to come and say it because it's not safe from a smoker that done something really stupid? So, yeah, I didn't have his credit card details, so I copped that $1,500 bill and, you know, the lack of not being able to rent that coop out and, or tent out until the electricians had come and rewired it and made sure it was safe and... It's so a little stuff like that you learn the hard way, but I didn't think someone would be stupid enough to do that. But
0: what has been the absolute highlight since you've started Bukirk?
1: No, oh, there's so many. I think the growth is amazing. Like I I, I had a 5-year plan and I'm nearly at it after 3. Like that to me blows my mind, but reading the reviews. That can make me make me get all emotional now. But I just love that people love it as much as I do.
0: You and make you've, me cry. And you've, and you've done very well, I hear, at the South Australian Tourism Awards. Well, that, that's the next thing. Like, mm. I, um, I and was, the SA Woman Awards. Yeah, I won that. Um, well, that was
1: thanks to all my glampers. They had a, um, a vote. So I sent that out to all my glampers and my friends and all the people on social media and I won it two years in a row, People's Choice, which blew me away. Like I was up against some Sheila that's been on MKR, you know, with 40,000 followers and I'm like, ooh. But it just goes to show that people love their experience and love Bekirk enough to take the time to go and vote. But the Tourism Awards blew my mind too because they asked me to enter because it's something unique. And I was like, Money only been in business not even a year. Oh, well. Just do it, and then I went to the show, not even expecting to see my name on the big screen, and I was just blown away. Like I got a bronze in my first year in business, I was, I was like, right, I'm doing something right. So yeah, I've just finished the draft submission for this year's one. So fingers crossed, I might get a silver this time, or we'll hopefully go straight for gold. But at the end of the day, I shouldn't say this out loud, hey, but you I don't chickens.
0: Oh, hi, oh. buzz. What is it?
1: I just call them Chirpers.
0: Oh, Chirpers. I thought you said Jeroboos or something. (laughs) Interesting name.
1: (laughs) Just plural for Chooks, I guess. Hello, Chirpers? She's just wandering in for an interview. Yes, it's very important that the judges judge you, but to me, there's also a people's choice thing. That is what I like to win. I want to, no offence, judges, if you're listening, but I don't really care what they think about my business plan or figures or whatnot. It's what the people that have stayed or are going to come and stay think about Bukirk.
0: You mentioned that you have reached your five-year plan, and you're only three. or well, your five-year goal, and you've only been in business for three years. Mm. So, what was what was the goal?
1: Well, not quite, nearly. nearly so, when yeah. I finished the last tiny house, yep. the pool actually wasn't in my schedule, um, but because of the amount of work involved in setting up a blow-up pool every other day during summer, I was like, "Bugger this!" I'm putting. It and then that beautiful old ruin. I didn't actually didn't don't even know that that was in the five-year plan, but. The five-year plan was eight tenths, but I've changed it from five tenths to three of these, So, and we'll definitely be at that before the five years. Um, everything else from, um, you know, the chicken and Kevy and all these paddocks and, you know, there's other stuff to do other than just this glamping stuff with all my animals and, you know, the sheeps need stuff doing and paddocks need to be cropped. Yeah, I'll probably need to revisit the business plan and amend it. But
0: Where do you see yourself in ten years' time?
1: Mm drinking wine on a beach somewhere hopefully (laughs) I don't know know, to be honest probably not here like I I love what I do but it's 24-7 you know like I wake up and I'm out here checking guests out and then I'm talking to other guests and then I'm in cleaning and then I'm checking guests in and then I'm setting the fire and then I go to bed well not bed but go home and do more book work and it's so just not
0: much of a life personal no, life.
1: no yep. no and I don't have any time off because I don't have anybody to be me you know I would love to find somebody that's got a similar personality that loves Clare Valley as much as I do knows which wineries have what and what food's great and who has the best coffee but nobody probably wants to be here for 10 hours a day and then go home and reply to all the emails and answer all the phone calls so that's the hard part but I'm Getting to a point where I need to have a day or two off, which that lockdown was amazing, but that was like no time off except that Saturday that was really crappy because you couldn't be outside because you'd get blown away or hit by hail. Um, but I had stuff to do that you can't do when people are here, like driving around the backhoe, making noise and digging holes and dirty, noisy, smelly stuff that you don't want to be doing in front of people who are trying to enjoy the ambiance.
0: So you wouldn't hire someone to sort of take over the reins to give you that freedom?
1: I want to, I so do. that's the I, aim, is not I, to yeah. sell
0: the place, but just no. to put somebody no, else on? Oh, no,
1: I'm not selling it. No, this yeah. is me. Oh, look, we're getting overrun by oh. rain noise. Rain on a tin roof.
0: Oh, it's the best sound in the world. I oh, know, it is, isn't
1: it? But no, th- this is why I'm building the manager's quarters on the back of the Welcome Centre, um, so that I can, if I want to take a week off, They'll come and stay in the Welcome Centre because I need people to be here to look after the animals but be here for the guests. Like this morning I come over and the gas bottle's out so obviously the gas bottle's run out but I've got a spare one. But if there's nobody here to go and get that spare one refilled, you know, just little things like that. Like yeah. come down here and check that the toilet's not got marks and that the bins are empty and, and you don't want to be driving in Clare and someone's accidentally locked their en suite and you've got to drive all the way out here while they're standing naked <laughs> trying to get in the toilet. <laughs> Does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how they lock the en-suite, but maybe they have a shower and then forget to unlock it when they're coming out. or I don't know. So now I just leave the key in the ensuite. suite I think, well. Yeah. Because the reason I do that is because you can't lock the tents. So some people want to lock their stuff up so they can lock it in the en-suite, even though they've probably got a car. But then you probably don't want your products and your stuff left the car, in the car. So. No. Yeah, there's all these different aspects. Wow, there's a lot
0: to think about. Oh,
1: yeah. So, yeah, back to the hopefully getting somebody to just come and stay. And I've had heaps of people that have stayed saying, hey, Chuck, if you ever want a week off, we'll come and manage it for you. That's good. So that is possibly going to be what I want. But I would really like it to be a local because, um, you know, unless you get somebody that will do it once a year for me – then I can train them up as to where to go and what to do. But I think it's really important because Clare hasn't been advertised as big as the Barossa or Adelaide Hills or McLaren Vale. So most people don't even know what there is to do in Clare. Every day, um, someone rang me yesterday and they are like, so we're planning on coming Monday, Tuesday. What is there to do in Clare?
0: Don't they look at the website? People don't do that. No.
1: So I've now put on my website a fax page so that, you know, yeah. if they don't want to go and look at clarevalley.com.au, they can look at my page to go, oh, there's a maze. Oh, you know, there's Bungaree Station. Idea. You know, yeah. gives them ideas and then they go, right, we do need two nights, or rather than coming for one and wishing they stayed longer. So, but that's, but the Tourist Commission are finally getting on board because we've got some amazing attractions and some fantastic restaurants and wineries and different accommodation, mm-hmm. i.e., Bukerk. But people are starting to really know about Clare now, you know, the Tourist Commission are helping to support us and, yeah, it's great.
0: Well, it has been an absolute... Fun time spending time <laughs> with you, Chuck, And I love your story and I wish you all the best over the next how many years and I think it's it's a great risk that you took mm. and it's paid off mm. and um, well done.
1: Or well, hasn't paid off yet. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it's paid off in the good reviews. Yeah. If that's what makes yeah. it you. Yeah. Not, yeah.
1: not money-wise but oh, thank you. No, it was a massive risk. I mean the council – I shouldn't say this out loud, but they um, I don't think that they believed in my vision, which is not up to them to decide that. But they derived eight tenths is all I was allowed to do on 42 acres, which I don't understand. I could have easily done probably 20 and have them booked out every weekend. But one of their stipulations was if the glamping's not successful, you need to put the paddock back to how it was. Well, no, if the glamping's not successful, I'll take the tent down and I'll build a little cabin on top of the deck. Like, I'm not giving up. But, yeah, maybe they have their reasons. But I showed them, so it's all good. With (laughs) nearly 3,000 bookings, I'm pretty happy with that.
0: 3,000 bookings Mm. since you started. Mm.
1: But, yeah, right now, thanks to COVID, it's just crazy busy all the time. Except when we're in lockdown.
0: (laughs) Well done, Chook. A great success story for the Clare Valley. And if you'd like to check out Bukirk, I've included the website in my show notes. Book now so you can take advantage of that fantastic new swimming pool that she's got there over summer. If you enjoyed the episode or any of the Voice It episodes, rate and review. As Chook mentioned, we do love getting reviews. It makes what we do so worthwhile. And while you're checking out her website, check out my website, voiceit.me. I'm a former ABC broadcast journalist, now I'm a voice coach, I run public speaking skills sessions, produce podcasts and my latest venture is audio storytelling, capturing your loved one's life story for future family generations to enjoy. I wish I recorded my grandmother's story before she died and just to hear her voice again would be just fantastic. So if you'd like to capture your loved one's life story, get in touch. Catch you next time for another episode of The Voice It Podcast.